Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. Alex, are you saying I'm not like the Flash? From Studio C, a dimly lit room, even in the bowels of the Armstrong and Getty Communications compound. Hey, everybody. On this Thursday, Little Friday, we're under the tutelage, I guess, of Boris Johnson, who is going to step down as the Prime Minister of Great Britain, our special relationship, our closest relationship on planet Earth. The Brits are going to get a new leader. More on that in just a second. Let me catch my breath as I just sprinted down the hallway. So I walk in and I ask Michael, say, how long I've got? He says, 30 seconds. I need cream for my coffee. So I sprinted with my unbelievable foot speed, especially for a person of my age. Sprinted to the lunchroom and back and got my cream. Big finish. I put heavy cream in my coffee because um, I'm an intermittent faster, which means I don't eat very much. And uh, I do drink coffee, which you're allowed. Um, but if you drink coffee with no cream in it on a completely empty stomach, it is a very harsh, unpleasant feeling. So I put heavy cream in there because if you don't know this, heavy cream has zero sugar in it and uh, does not contribute to any problems in the whole intermittent fasting thing. So there you go. You learned something from just there. How many talk shows do you ever tune in where the host is winded like this? Ever? Probably not. <laughs> Probably a reason for that. <laughs> Yeah, you're probably right. Hilarious. Um, yeah, Boris Johnson is our general manager. Um, he is stepping down. It's interesting how that system works, obviously, uh, compared to ours in a bunch of different ways. And there are advantages and disadvantages 
to both systems, and uh, I have been convinced by people smarter than me that our system is better. Um, I'd like to read a good book about that, by the way, if you know of a particular book on the whole parliamentary system versus our system. But in uh, parliamentary systems, like has happened in Israel, where they're going to have to form a new government again, and their fifth one in a few years, that's, you know, that's a lot of turmoil for the markets and for policy and all that sort of stuff, so I can see the downside of that, but... In Great Britain, for instance, um, Boris Johnson's own party has turned on him because they're just not that happy with him. Over 50 cabinet members have resigned in just the last couple of days. He's up to 52 people of his own cabinet that have resigned and said, look, we don't back you anymore. So he has no choice but to come forward like he did today and say that he will step down uh, as soon as they have another election and somebody's ready to take over. Can you imagine if we had that system in the United States? Would... Would would a, would a certain number of Republicans come forward when Trump was president and said, you got to go? Or would enough Democrats come forward right now with the president's approval rating in the 30s and the right track, wrong track at almost 90 percent? Would enough Democrats come forward and say, you got to step down? And I guess one of the big differences uh, is generally you're going to get to replace, not always, but generally you're going to get to replace um, the person stepping down with your own party a lot of times. So it's not a, you know, we're handing it over to the Republicans. If the Democrats came forward and told Joe Biden, you got to go, they, they did come up with somebody else. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because we have a president right now in the United States who has uh, very low approval ratings. I mean, we got used to Donald Trump's approval ratings, but they were historically low. And Joe Biden is lower than that. And as we mentioned yesterday, record numbers in, in all your polling for uh, confidence in government, all three branches at record lows, the president uh, a personal approval rating at a, at a low, and the right track, wrong track at a record just under 9 out of 10 Americans saying the country's on the wrong track. It's at 88% right now. I mean, that's just astounding. You're going to get the 45% of Republicans saying we're on the wrong track, you know, when a Democrat is the president. But what's that other 45%? What's that other giant chunk of people out there? Those those are independents and Democrats who have said, nah, we're going the wrong direction, even with this government. So that's it's just we're in a, in, in a very unique situation. And then you, you throw in all the inflation and everything like that, which, you know, is partially uh, to blame for the right track, wrong track, but you throw in uh, those things, and we don't know, have any idea where they're headed. Um, and we, we're just, the, well, these are the spicy times. If you want a These Are the Spicy Times t-shirt, go to armstrongandgetty.com. They're flying off the shelves. I wear one myself uh, pretty much every afternoon because these are the spicy times. Make it exciting. Make it spicy. That's right, Arnold. Let's start the show officially, and i got a couple other things to mention. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty, vacationing today on this Thursday, July 7th, year 2022. We are Armstrong and Getty, and we approve of this program. We uh, are required by the FCC to start the show officially at Mark. My friends, in politics, no one is remotely indispensable. And I want you to know how sad I am to be giving up the best job in the world. But them's the breaks. (laughs) So Boris Johnson's gone. Trump is gone temporarily or permanently. Um, Brexit still hangs around. Marie Le Pen had her moment in France, but she lost. Although Macron is a bit of a populist choice in that he came out of uh, his own party. I mean, uh, neither one of the established parties. Um, 
Is the era of uh, uh, taking a flyer on somebody kind of wacky and different over with Boris Johnson stepping down? That's a good question, and time will tell. My only big question, I'm looking at President Zelensky of Ukraine up on the TV right now, talking with Wolf Blitzer on CNN and saying Boris Johnson was a true friend of Ukraine. He was. Boris Johnson was heavily behind the defense of Ukraine. My only question, because I don't pay that much attention to British politics, uh, with the incoming prime minister, whoever he or she is in, in, in Great Britain, every once in a while they, uh, they elect a chick. They let a chick run things. We, ha- we haven't done that in the United States. Um, so whoever he or she is as prime minister of Great Britain going forward, I just hope that they are as or more committed to helping Ukraine defeat the Russians as that war is not going the right direction. There are all kinds of implications for the world, if not just the decency of, uh, of history and what is right and what is wrong. And we're going to talk about that with military analyst Jeff McCausland come up in just a few minutes. Where things are... With the war in Ukraine, um, are we doing enough? What stuff is still on the way? How should we be looking at it in terms of who's winning and who's losing? All that sort of stuff is on the way. The largest hack of personal information in the history of the world occurred a couple of years ago, and we're just finding out about it today. If you don't know that story, it's damned interesting. District Attorney for the County of Los Angeles is going to end up getting booted, I think. They got the signatures, the details on that story coming up. It's not getting coverage hardly anywhere for, I think, obvious partisan reasons. But we got that story for you. As uh, always happens on Thursday, there are some economic numbers coming out. I don't expect any of them to be good. And we need to talk about the horrifying shooting um, up there north of Chicago because one of the fixes for these mass shootings, people have been saying forever, look, 90% of Americans want background checks. 90% of Americans approve of red flag laws. Well, neither one of those issues did or could have stopped this one, it looks like, as we got a lot more details on that whole story yesterday. And it's uh, it's troubling, and I don't know what we do. But So there's a bunch of stuff to get into, including some fun stuff, so I hope you can stay here. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Russian forces have recently claimed control of Luhansk, the northern province of the region. The fighting there fierce as Ukrainian forces try to fend off Russia as it looks to take the rest of the Donbass. Key Ukrainian-held cities in the region coming under attack. In Slovyansk, Russian missiles destroying a local market. And the city of Kramatorsk facing intense shelling as Russian forces move in on Donetsk. Donetsk Basin, that's the area shortened to be the Donbass, as was just mentioned there. The eastern industrial region in which Russia is seeking control of because it has got all kinds of strategic value, and the Russians are succeeding. The governor of the Donetsk region has urged all 350,000 civilians to evacuate as the Russians have gotten so close and are just pounding all these different towns with their long-range missiles that the Ukrainians, at least as of yet, can't match. Um, It's a troubling situation. The world attention is not 
on this the way it was early on, and I'm concerned for that reason also. We've talked to Dr. Jeff McCausland many times over the years. He's a CBS News military consultant, founder and CEO of Diamond Six Leadership and Strategy, senior fellow at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the Naval Academy, um, yeah, retired in 2002, culminating his career as Dean of Academics, United States Army War College. Dr. Jeff McCausland, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show today. Jack, it's great to be with you. Uh, is it as dire as I just explained it? Well, it's fairly dire. There's no two ways about it. There's, Ukrainians have suffered an enormous setback with the loss of Severodonetsk and Luzhansk, which were the last two major cities in the Hansk province. And as you rightly point out, the Russians are redoubling their efforts now to take the Donetsk province, and those two provinces comprise the Donbass. And they're doing it in that steady fashion, again, you described, of heavy missile and artillery attacks and basically pulverizing villages and towns and then moving slowly forward. And I think we're going to see them repeat that uh, as they move on to, to Donetsk. That being said, we have seen the Ukrainians have some success down in the south. They have moved closer to the city of Kherson and potentially could threaten to reclaim that from, from Russia. And we're starting to see, I think, some of the effects of the arrival of more modern military equipment from the United States and Western European allies, including more 155-millimeter howitzers with a lot more accurate artillery ammunition, and the new HIMARS uh, long-range rocket system, which can put a round out at 40 or 50 miles. In the last couple of days, we've seen long-range strikes by the Ukrainians against a Russian air base and a Russian ammo dump, which, from the, from the way it looks to me, those likely were HIMARS strikes. But at the moment, at least, there's no question the Russians outgun the Ukrainians, particularly in artillery, and this has devolved into being an artillery war, at least for the time being. Man, which is straight out of what, the uh, the, the 1930s? I mean, it's pretty old-timey, isn't it? It's pretty old-timey for us. This is sort of World War II type, but the Russians, Soviet Union, had always emphasized heavy and mass fires as part of the military doctrine. And if even you go back in the late 1990s, this, to me, looks more like the Russian military operation in Chechnya, mm. when a, a time unknown guy rose up to become prime minister of Russia. His name was Vladimir Putin, and he decided he was going to reassert Russian control over Chechnya, which had managed to break away. What the Russians did in Chechnya, a small province of only a couple million people, is pretty much what they're doing here, and that is just pound these villages and towns into submission, <clears throat> basically seek to break the willpower of the population, drive people out in terms of being refugee flows, which then makes the, your rear areas more secure, number one, and perhaps causes those refugees to be a problem for your opponent. And this is exactly what they're doing. So anybody who thinks that Russian artillery strikes against apartment buildings, hospitals, maternity wards, railway stations, these are some kind of errors or the efforts of, of uh, marauding units is wrong. This is actually Russian military doctrine and policy. They are aiming at the civilian. It's their doctrine and policy, and they have been successful in the past, as you just explained. And, and that took a long time, right? That took years, which is one of the troubling aspects of this. Putin did not get deterred by that brief flash in the early weeks and months of success of the Ukrainians and the world getting so excited. He was in it for the long haul. Yeah, I always say that Mr. Putin pushed all his poker chips to the center of the table, and there's not really a retirement home for old dictators. <laughs> so he could hardly go back to go back to the Russian people and say, gee whiz, we tried that and it didn't work. Now, he has, I think, scoped down his objectives. His objectives at the onset, I think, were to take out the Ukraine or at least take out the Ukrainian government 
And that's why they had this multi-pronged offensive at the beginning, focused on Kiev, Kharkiv, down the Donbass, as well as the coast of the Sea of Azov and the Black Sea. They've had to scope that down dramatically. Their efforts to take Kharkiv and Kiev failed. Their effort to take the entirety of the Black Sea close, coast all the way to Odessa so far have failed as well. And so they've concentrated their efforts on this Donbass region. Now, whether or not after, if they are, in fact, successful, and they, and they only control about half of the Donetsk province, so if they are, in fact, successful in the coming weeks in capturing that, might he declare a ceasefire and try to get the world community to kind of forget about this, as we kind of did when he occupied Crimea back mm-hmm. in 2014, is certainly a possibility. Right. Um, I've got no military background, so I'm just like a regular person watching this on the news. I still watch it every day. And the, the heartbreaking stories out of these towns, I mean, not only are they just being pounded, just regular people living their lives in regular towns that look like wherever you live, just getting pounded indiscriminately, um, which is the, the, the strategy, as you just explained. And then when the Russians roll into town, really, really bad things happen. Really bad things happen. They don't just establish law and order. They rape, pillage, plunder. It's it's terrible. Why don't the Ukrainians already have the equipment they need to stop this from happening? What's going on there? Well, first of all, it's difficult to transfer a lot of sophisticated weaponry and have it integrated into their forces quickly. A lot of the use of HIMARS, these long-range rocket systems, require the ability to operate the weapon, to do the targeting to also pass the information. How do you link that up in a system with drones that acquire a target, get accurate coordinates or guide guide weapons on the target? How do you compute firing data? How do you prioritize targeting? That's a system, and it takes a while to educate somebody on a system. I can train you on how to fire a javelin or how to fire a stinger, which is a direct fire weapon system, probably in a couple of days. And we saw the Ukrainians using those to good effect in the early days of this war. Now we're talking about much more complex systems that take a longer period of time. Secondly, I don't think that we've provided the Ukrainians uh, sufficient military forces really to do a counteroffensive. Part of that is our concern for them being able to absorb it. Part of that is our concern that it could lead to escalation. Part of that, I think, is probably a concern of just how much military hardware can we transfer before we've sort of dipping down into U.S. and other NATO allies' wartime stocks ourselves. Uh, there's not that much surplus military hardware that's out there. Hey, I just I want to jump in here because we're down to like 45 seconds, and I wonder your opinion on this. I ask everybody, how worried do you get about it escalating into World War III? Are we being too cautious? I worry about it a great deal. I mean, I think we're in the greatest possible nuclear confrontation since uh, November of 1962 or October 62 in the Cuban Missile Crisis. We could have, you know, an aircraft fly across the border and get shot down, a missile hit Lithuania, two ships collide in the night, <clears throat> and you can see a real dramatic escalation in the confrontation between the United States, NATO versus the Russians. And I think it's something we just cannot take our eye off of. Okay. Jeff McCausland, Dr. Jeff McCausland, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate your insight. A lot of good information there. Uh, New information coming out on the scumbag murderous shooter from up there in Illinois that if you haven't heard it, it's something. Stay tuned for that. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox, 
you can't go around it. So you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Officials have now identified all seven victims whose lives were stolen Monday. Their ages range from 35 to 88. Among them are Kevin and Irina McCarthy, a husband and wife who came to the parade to celebrate with their two-year-old son, Aiden. Aiden was found wandering the street alone after his parents were killed, and his grandfather says the young boy only survived because his dad shielded him with his body. That's just an incredible story that we had avoided because we don't really do um, that much tragedy and misery on this show. That's just an amazing story, though. Both parents killed. It would appear dad shielded the two-year-old and both parents died in the shooting. Of course, we're talking about what happened uh, in Highland Park, north of Chicago, Fourth of July parade. Uh, And the two-year-old was wandering around alone with blood on his feet. 
Anyway, so uh, Joe and I probably ought to have a discussion on how to refer to these killers because we certainly aren't going to use their names. Nobody should. Anybody who does use the name of these people on a regular basis is contributing to deaths, I believe. So we're not going to use the name. I want to refer to him as a scumbag murderer or something like that um, with the qualification that if he is deemed insane by a court at some point, then I suppose the term scumbag, murderous, lunatic, piece of crap is not fair because if somebody's completely insane through no fault of their own, well, then it's no, they have no more responsibility for things than uh, you do your eye color, I suppose. But until he is deemed insane, I'm just going to go with murderous, scumbag, lunatic, psychopath, nut job, or something of that sort to describe him. And that uh, kid who's 22 years old and is admitting to everything and telling everybody, he's he waived his Miranda rights, he's talking to cops openly. You know why he's doing that? Because that's the point of these things. These losers... Life's losers want attention. They want everybody to see their face and hear their name and talk about them. That's why he's waving his Miranda rights and talking to cops. They want the attention. So here's a a crazy idea. How about we stop giving them all that attention? Anyway, as we're learning more about what was going on there, the dad of scumbag murderous loser has retained a lawyer. In fact, he's gotten R. Kelly's lawyer. To defend him, uh, I don't know if you heard earlier in the week, R. Kelly just got sentenced to 30 years in prison, so maybe you ought to find a different lawyer. But um, Dad has retained a lawyer. Why did Dad retain a lawyer? Because it turns out that Dad, in the state of Illinois, the way the gun laws work there, somebody the age of the scumbag murderer uh, had to get sponsorship from uh, an adult, you know, somebody older than him, to be able to go out and buy a weapon. And his dad... This is just months after the police had recognized this kid as a clear and present danger when the kid had threatened to kill the whole family. Remember that whole story everybody was talking about yesterday? Kid threatens to kill the whole family. Police get involved. The uh, law enforcement labels, labels the kid a clear and present danger in 2019. Months later, Dad goes ahead and fills out the paperwork to sponsor... The application for the weapons of his son who threatened to kill the whole family. Um, you know, I don't know that that's a crime or whatever. I, I, I'm, it's difficult to criticize other people's parenting because you never know the whole story of what's going on in someone else's household. But man, from here, it sure looks like a pretty crazy thing to do. Um, that's when they went to his house. Uh, where they all lived, the led police to briefly confiscate a sword, a dagger, and 15 knives from the shooter's home. Dad saying it was just a childish outburst, the whole I want to kill the whole family, and that the knives were just part of a collection, just the way I collect coins and baseball cards, said Dad. Well, that very well could be. I'm not sure the whole knife collection thing means anything. Um, so he decided to sponsor his son's firearm owner's ID card, which you have to do there. In order for him, the young man, to go out and buy the very AR-15 that he used to slaughter the parents of that two-year-old and a bunch of other people. Because he thought his son was going to use the weapon to go to the shooting range. He bought everything on his own, and they're registered to him, Dad said. He drove there, he ordered them, he picked them up, they did his background check on each one. I've had zero involvement in the massacre. 
Well, I think you had some involvement in filling out the paperwork to allow your kid to buy the guns. I, I think I do think you do have some involvement. I don't know that that's criminal involvement, and I'm I might be really uncomfortable with it being criminal involvement. But I'm that was that was a, an interesting parenting decision. If one of my kids threatens to kill the whole family, and we end up having the police come to the house, and they label my kid as a uh, what was the exact terminology there? Um, a clear and present danger. Uh, I'm not going to fill out the paperwork for my kids to be able to buy an AR-15 until I'm damn solid that they're okay mentally. And it probably would take more than a couple of months of uh, demonstrating their competence before I would do that. So that's an interesting angle. Then you've also got the fact that the kid passed four background checks. Four. Illinois has some of the strictest gun laws in America, for anybody who thinks gun laws are the answer, and maybe they are, but not the ones they've got in Illinois, apparently. Um, four background checks this kid passed and was able to buy legally purchase the weapon. So none of the stuff that he did, said, music videos, threatening to kill his family, all that different sort of stuff, none of that stuff uh, got him into red flag territory. And he passed four background checks. And he bought the gun legally. So I don't know what we do with that information going forward. It's pretty damn troubling. This is at least the second time we've had one of these killers where the parents allowed access to guns in a way that I think most of us would not. I think it was the Sandy Hook kid, wasn't it? Whose mom left the guns unattended in the house. Yeah, so uh, those of us who are parents, if we have firearms, if you got a troubled kid, you got to make sure they don't have access to them. And let's, uh, how about we don't sign paperwork to allow our troubled kids to go out and buy even more powerful weapons that they can own ourselves themselves? I think think that'd be a pretty good idea. As far as the background check situation, uh, need to look into that more, and uh, do have more information on that of. You know, background check is a a, a broad-based term that can mean a lot of different things depending on the state you live in or what they're talking about in terms of a federal law. But um, four of them passed four of them. Crime is up of all different kinds. That's why you need a good home security system. It's just a good idea. Oh, we've, what is the story that we get that got caught on a Simply Safe camera? What is that story, Michael? Oh, the uh, firework story. Oh, yeah, we've got a firework great, mishap. We've got a great firework mishap coming up that got caught on a Simply Safe camera. Simply Safe is really good at protecting you 24/7 with professional monitoring of all different kinds. And Simply Safe agents take action the moment a threat is detected at your home. Police, first responders, whatever is necessary in an emergency. Simply Safe uses proprietary video verification technology that monitoring agents can then visually confirm the threat in order to get higher priority 911 dispatch, the kind of help that you need. What does that cost you, that level of security? About a dollar a day. With no long-term contractor hidden fees, you set it up yourself in about 30 minutes. You can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafecom slash Armstrong. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera, um, which is pretty darn cool, plus 20% off with interactive monitoring that we were just telling you about. So go to simplysafecom slash Armstrong. While we're on the topic of a Simply Safe camera caption, capturing something... Let's hear this. What do I need to know about it before I hear the audio here? Okay, let me explain this so you understand. Family gather around, going to do fireworks, okay? They've got their minivan parked to the right. The kids are going to set off what appears to be a rocket 
But they've decided just to put it into the ground, not into a pipe. Normally, you put these things into a pipe. Mm, I, I, I was always fun at just putting them in the ground. But Oh, okay. Well... <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work out for them? It didn't work out. There's a reason you want the sparks to go every which way in the air. Gotcha. Not on the ground. And uh, Let's hear it. here's how it went. Oh, it's going to be right You cannot stick it in the ground. It's not going to work. you got to put it in the shoe. Holy crap, I'm watching the video. Uh, the van catches on fire. Oh my god! Holy crap! What is that exploding? Was the is it That's just the van. But there it looks like fireworks are going off or just a lot of fireworks near the van well, that then caught fire. Holy crap, it's still going. Some of them went in the back of the van. I guess the van was open in the back, eh. and the sparks went in there and started blowing up. Uh, I assume, Hanson, we have this video at armstrongandgetty.com so people can check it out. Oh, that's scary. It's it's funny, but um, it's funny after you see the mom grab the looks to be like about a one-year-old out of his little thing. You know how one-year-olds stand in a little thing that they dangle in? Right next to the van that explodes. As soon as things started to go haywire, mom jumps up and grabs the little kid. Everybody runs, including the little girl in her bikini and everybody else. And then the van just explodes. And because it's the modern world, whether it's cell phone video or your home security system or a door cam or whatever, it's all on video. Holy crap. Nobody hurt. Yeah, which is the only way you know that uh, this turns into like a meme of uh, a hilarity, but. Oh, my God, after that ended, it would take a while for you to catch your breath and realize how close you were to serious tragedy, especially with that little kid next to the van. Oh, oh my God. Check that video out at armstrongandgetty.com. Let it be a word of warning for how you handle your fireworks in the future. Uh, we have much more to talk about. Oh, one more thing uh, I wanted to do just as a tease. Mental health issues always come up around these shootings. What are we doing about that? We're going to talk to Craig Gottwalls, which if you're a longtime listener of the Armstrong and Getty Show, you know he's our go-to healthcare expert. I got into a conversation with him yesterday about the state of our mental health care. Usually we're talking about, you know, regular go to the doctor, sort of broke my leg, got cancer, whatever, that kind of health care, Obamacare, all that sort of stuff. What is the state of mental health care in America? Man, we are in a bad way and getting worse We'll be talking about that kicking off hour two, I believe. So stick around to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, 
limitless answers. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I uh, didn't mention that that horrifying story of the um, the parents being killed in the shooting and then the two-year-old surviving because dad shielded the two-year-old and the two-year-old's wandering around. Police finally found him. Uh, there was a GoFundMe that go, got going, and there's like $2.5 million in the GoFundMe for that two-and-a-half-year-old. I bring that up because, one, that's, you know, nice. Um, and I, I hope there's somebody, family member, something that steps in and can uh, set up that money for a bank because there's going to be a lot of child care and education all that sort of stuff. What a horrible story. But nice, you know, the generosity part is nice. Then you got the other end of stories like that of human beings or different kind of human beings out there. This California woman who faked cancer. Uh, you know, one of those stories where you're going around t- telling people that you have cancer to try to get people to donate money to you. And uh, the reason she was faking cancer to have people donate money to her is that she had been embezzling from her former employer. Uh, to the tune of $160,000 and had gotten caught and was in trouble and needed to pay the money back. So her brilliant answer to the problem after embezzling from her employer was to pretend she had horrible cancer of the uterus and people uh, donate money out of the goodness of their heart. So so my, my thing is you got really, really nice people who donate money when people get in a, a bad situation. It's great, you know, crowdsourcing, pulling together, 
you know, we are our brother's keeper sort of stuff. And then you got someone like this who tries to take advantage of that. And they need to be what uh, the Armstrong and Getty show called super guilty. There needs to be a new it needs to be in the Constitution. You are super guilty of being a scumbag and you get like the maximum penalty and you need to be in a special island somewhere. What the hell? Um, Brad Pitt can't recognize faces anymore. He's got some sort of weird thing called prosopagnosia. Is that what Bruce Willis had also? Or is his thing different? Bruce Willis, who just retired recently. Anyway, Brad Pitt can't recognize new faces and has the thing. No? I don't know. I don't ever look. I stare at the ground all the time, so I don't see new faces. So it doesn't really seem to be a problem for me. Uh, Boris Johnson is resigning. He's the prime minister of Great Britain. Our special relationship with our closest ally, Great Britain, is going to have a new leader when they have an election. Here's Boris Johnson, a little bit of him. But as we've seen uh, at Westminster, uh, the herd instinct is powerful. When the herd moves, it moves. And my friends, in politics, no one is remotely indispensable. Okay, that's Boris Johnson blaming, I guess, the fact that uh, he's going down on the herd instinct of human beings. Here's a, little, here's a little more of his more or less resignation speech. And to you, the British public, I know that there will be many people who are relieved and uh, perhaps quite a few who will also be disappointed. And I want you to know how sad I am to be giving up the best job in the world. But them's the breaks. So uh, he is stepping down 50-plus members of his own administration resigned, saying we don't support you anymore. 52, I think, is the number. So you can't go forward, obviously, with that. The final straw in Bojo's crazy, wacky career, and movies will be made about it. Remember, he threw a big COVID party during the, the, the darkest days of shutdown. He ignored the laws, did sort of a Gavin Newsom French laundry style thing, among other things that Bojo did. That, you know, uh, weren't really his policies, it's just his, his lifestyle and that sort of thing. The final straw proved to be revelations about Boris Johnson's awareness of complaints against this guy named Chris Pincher, who the is the was the conservative deputy chief whip who stepped down June 30th after allegations that he had groped two men at a private club. Johnson's office initially said he knew nothing of the allegations made against Pincher in 2019. Uh, But Monday, a spokesman said Johnson did know of the claims, but they were either resolved or did not progress to a former complaint. So when people of his own party found out that Bojo did know that he'd hired a guy that he was aware of, pinching dudes... On the, the guy's name Pincher, and he pinched guys' asses at a nightclub. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, Bojo knew about it and still was like, eh, whatever. It was just too much for the people in his party. It was just too much of a sign of, wow, you just don't care, do you? You're just, you're not even going to try to stay out of trouble. Well, that's it. I give up. And 50 plus members of his cabinet have stepped down because of that. So there you go. I believe we mentioned this story of this football player that died. I don't follow the NFL anymore, so I did not know the name of Demarius Thomas. Pro Bowl career, retired not that long ago. He just died in December at age 33. 33 is obviously very young for a professional athlete. And it turns out it was CTE, that whole you got your brain battered around too many times throughout your life and it kills you early usually not this early though 
Uh, maybe if you only watched the Super Bowl like me, you saw him in Super Bowl 50 when he was playing for the Denver Broncos and they, they won the Super Bowl. And uh, he did not go to the parties last that night after winning the Super Bowl as a very young man. Because his head hurt so much. He had been leveled during the game in a play, and he had a headache so bad that he skipped as a young man the Super Bowl parties when he had just, you know, uh, reached his dream of winning the Super Bowl. I need to go by myself. I don't feel so good. He didn't celebrate, and he had headaches for a long time, and uh, he retired with a Pro Bowl career, as I mentioned. Loved in the league, charismatic, blah, 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 all the all the kind of things that uh, professional sports hopes for out of their athletes. But, man, he had that chronic traumatic encephalopathy, the degenerative brain disease linked to repeated head hits that he'd been taking since he was a little kid in Pop Warner football, all the way through junior high, high school, college, and then 13 years in the pros. And it destroyed his brain, it looks like, and he had died at age 33. That still hangs out there as a problem for the NFL. That if they ever nail that down, I don't even know how the sport can continue. But anyway, I thought that was interesting. We got a lot more on the way. I want to talk about the troubles of young, angry men in America. Is there anything we can do about that? Uh, Some theories from colleague on the radio, Mike Slater, if you've never heard his act Smart guy, good thinker. I want to know what his opinions are on this problem facing the country. If you missed an hour of the show, grab the podcast Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.